Spoiler alert. This podcast discusses episode two of Westworld, season three. Oh my word, what an episode this week. Did you spot the biggest HBO crossover Easter egg of all time? Fans of Game of Thrones are going nuts right now. Not only was there a dragon exactly like Drogon, Rhaegal and Viserion, but those tech guys are only the blooming showrunners of Game of Thrones themselves, Dan and David. What? Some startup in Costa Rica. How the fuck are you gonna get that to Costa Rica? In pieces, man. A startup in Costa Rica, they say. Is that a double Easter egg reference to Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park franchise? George R. R. Martin's wanted to cross over with Westworld since season one, and now that Thrones is over, are we finally going to see Westeros World? I'm going to be asking Westworld creator Lisa Joy all about that moment later in the pod when I delve deeper into the parks. And I'm also going to bring you a fan theory that's completely blowing our minds right now, which could mean that we've already discovered all six parks. We just don't know it yet. But for now, it's time to hand over to Lauren as we step into this week's analysis. Westworld, the Westworld podcast from Sky Atlantic. Sensible shoes on, let's rev up our little red sports car and continue in the style that we're accustomed to. It's the gunslinging, future-predicting, plot-analysing fan show, Westward, the official Westworld podcast from Sky Atlantic. Coming up, Jamie East talks to the one and only head of security, Ashley Stubbs, a.k.a. Luke Hemsworth, about embracing his inner host. 1am in the morning and I get an email from Jonah and he's rewritten this scene and it's got just a couple of little lines in there like, I guess you could call it my cornerstone. I was like, what? And ready to enter analysis mode this week, I'm joined by comedian and sci-fi guru, Dane Baptiste. Dane, what's the square root of negative one? Uh, negative one can also be expressed as I times I, but then negative one, 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 uh, I times I. Okay, while Dane glitches out, let's set him into recovery mode and get right into this week's episode. Last time we saw Maeve, she had been gunned down by Delos security and was shot full of holes. Don't, 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 don't. She's not like the rest. We need her. Angry narrative writer Lee Sizemore had taken her to a Delos tech for repair. While on the slab, Ghost Nation warrior Akichita communicates with Maeve over the host mesh network, explaining that her daughter is safe and that he would take her to host heaven, the valley beyond. Okay, yeah. She was out there reprogramming hosts on the fly, reading their code, changing their directives, seeing through their eyes. She wasn't just doing it out there. She's doing it right now. Towards the end of season two, Maeve is bleeding out on a lab table when Bernard approaches. She scans Bernard's brain to find a message from Dr. Ford, who appears before Maeve in a vision. Of all the hosts I've made, you, Maeve, were my favourite. It isn't easy to contemplate letting your children die. You were as close as I got to having one. Stella underestimated you. Maeve is then left for dead in a pile of host bodies on the beach. 
And then we're on the run with Hector and Maeve in Nazi-occupied Germany. But I suppose none of it matters because none of this is real. We must go, Isabella. Isabella? My God. You don't know who I am, do you? So Maeve is now called Isabella, which incidentally is the name of Hector's programmed love interest back in season one. Why doesn't Hector recognise her as Maeve then, Dane? What do you think? It looks like, I believe, he has either been reprogrammed or his narrative has been somewhat altered. So he's now Hector operating within the new, what would be the equivalent of a skin that you find in like multimedia uh, role-playing games and stuff. So it's like, say Hector, but now it's like, you know, yeah. Now it's great, great war version of Hector. So we are in a new world, War World. Alex Zane got very close last week. He thought it was going to be World War World. Too many W's, arguably. Yeah, but a lot of alliteration. Very, there, very one. close, uh, Alex. What do you make of War World then? What's going on here, Dane? It's very much more of the same. You're just creating a whole new landscape, which again speaks to the fact that all of the parks centre around conflict, I guess, that brings the excitement. Right, so, yeah. yeah. And this seems to be very much how human beings tend to thrive and it very much speaks apart all of the work being done in the previous seasons in terms of trying to map the human mind. And of course, in terms of the show, it's a brilliant excuse for Westworld creators to have some fun with some of the tropes and classic themes of World War movies and espionage movies. Uh, and we see a lot of yeah, that they always, here. They always keep it very um, kitsch, Maeve's head. Oh, she's got those, the hair net on yeah, and everything. Yeah, she's got the hair yeah. net on, all of the architecture, Kirby by the door with like a Walter PPK, which was like the signature James Bond gun as well. Right, exactly. Yeah. Whipping the top off a, a beautiful bright red sports car that nobody yeah, yeah. has spotted. And a, and a British one as well. There's also that moment when Maeve stuffs the pill into the Nazi soldier's eye to disable him. I mean, what did you make of that? A very interesting way to dispose of somebody. It sort of felt like it had that like that sort of slightly camp spy movie thing of like, yeah, now a... the buddy gets the pill in the eye. I mean, well, now you think about it, Maeve is actually wearing the same colours as Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure they probably didn't do it. I think it's wrong decade. That's the 60s, Dean. <laughs> yeah. We're not going back a bit there. further. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> Austin Powers world. I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> how I feel about that. <laughs> so what do we think about Maeve's mind control powers at this point then, Dean? I think towards the end of the last season, she should use a lot of her power, I think, to um, stave off Clementine in order for uh, the other host to get to the Valley Beyond. So you think maybe she's used them up? Could have burned it out and then maybe is beginning to kind of regain them again. Interesting. Um, but then, you know, we have to kind of work out where we are and how... the how far her powers reach kind of thing. Exactly. So if we, perhaps it's because we are inside a simulation and, and they yeah. don't work there, but they do work in the real Ex- world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Restored back to factory settings. Factory settings yeah. is what we're looking for. I mean, also I would like to say about this scene, actually just from a, a kind of change of pace point of view, quite nice to see a bit of romance again, you yeah. know, like to just have a little, we've had quite an intense start to the season. Yeah. So it's sort of just a moment to reprise that kind of more, perhaps more human yeah, storyline. It returns to that appeal that comes from having this mm-hmm. uh, simulation parks is that, you know, people use it to park the form of escapism. And uh, when you look at the first episode and how the pieces are being moved into place and what we're seeing is what might be preceding a very, very large-scale conflict. Yeah. So I had to go back to, um, oh, those are the days of... Uh, we need a bit of love. Yeah, I need a love in the park and stuff. And <laughs> two star-crossed lovers fighting for their love. That's what we want. Yeah. Okay, so we also saw two of our favourite characters returning in this show, technicians Felix and Sylvester, who you will remember first helped Maeve escape the lab back in season one. How did you feel about seeing those guys, Dane? Very happy. Because I wasn't sure how it turned out for those guys. Are they the Felix and Sylvester that we know from season one? Well, here's the thing. I'm not sure they are. Mm. Because it will take a lot for them to uh, ignore Maeve. 
So they're simulations. Yeah. Completely simulations. I think given the events that took place in the previous seasons, there is no way they would have not known who she was. Well, speaking of simulations, someone else that we weren't expecting to see was Lee Sizemore. Does no one ever actually really die? You're not Lee Sizemore. Just a copy of it. That'd be totally ridiculous. I'm me, Lee Sizemore. So let's get this straight. All the scenes this week with Maeve, Hector and Lee are inside a simulation. Their physical bodies don't exist. So they are code. They're connected to hard drives, sharing a programme which is on a loop with narratives. They have the ability to move around inside this simulation. Other characters walk past them because they're just like NPCs, non-player characters in a video game. This, I'm sure, it makes perfect sense to you, Dane. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it's they've gone full Wachowski. It's just very matrix up. It's like their consciousness are connected to this network work and this is how they interact. So if that is all a simulation and they're inside a reboot of Westworld, where are they really, Dean? I'm not sure exactly where they are, but maybe they are in a rival organisation or an offshoot organisation or maybe a secret project whereby I think they're trying to locate these hosts and locate these investments and they're trying to do so on a much more reduced scale. As we've established that Lee Sizemore is uh, a host yeah, and is beginning to glitch. But at the same time, they're almost beta testing him with a complete host in the form of Maeve. Whoever they are, I think they just continued some kind of experimentation. So so, it, so an experimental world that's not running at full capacity. That's yeah. your theory. So the question might not be just where they are, it's when they are as well. Yes. So how does one escape a cage that doesn't exist? Maeve throws a bust of herself in the air and that freezes in space, showing that they are inside a construct. She then overtaxes the programme by getting a couple of the NPCs to solve an impossible mathematical equation, which ultimately crashes the system. Don't worry too much about the square root of negative one, by the way. Most people will tell you it's an imaginary number. Zero is also imaginary number. So then, you know, most <laughs> most binary itself speaks to how, you know, how sensitive reality really is. Dane, honestly, don't start with the maths. I can't cope. <laughs> Neither either. So Maeve locates her control unit with the help of a maintenance drone, which she reformats. Now, whenever I see a maintenance drone in Westworld, I have to say, as a kind of working mum who's holding down a day job and doing some quite menial tasks alongside perhaps more high level stuff, I just I just identify a little bit. Do you know what I'm getting at, Dane? Oh, completely. This is why, you know, the, the maintenance drones, they've got the helmets, but they've got like eyes in the back of their head. Yes. They rotate and all the same of it. So yeah, I totally get it. I'm like, yeah. And that... they've even got childbearing hips as well. Mum droid. She's <laughs> yeah, a mum droid. I reckon it's time to get me out of there, don't you? Well, how are you going to manage that? With help. She'll do. Maeve activates riot control mode and changes Mumdroid's rules of engagement to unlimited. It's crowd control to assertive and it's excessive force to unlimited. It's a very cool scene, isn't it, Dave? It's a very cool scene. It's very reminiscent of when Maeve had almost had her awakening. Yeah. And started heightening all of her attributes as well. Yes. Um, so it was nice to see that again. I mean, it's one of the great things about Maeve is that her, 
presence is always about empowering her fellow host. So it's always the mark of a good leader is that it makes everyone else around them better. Yes, so. exactly. She kind of exceeds her boundaries straight through the window, taking care of business. Exactly. So the drone trying to escape with Maeve's control unit is tragically gunned down. But that's not the end of Maeve. We'll come back to where she ends up in a moment. But before that, our very own data drone with bulk apperception turned all the way up is Jamie East. He had the chance to talk with head of Delos Security Force, Ashley Stubbs, played by Luke Hemsworth, and got the lowdown on host Stubbs. Westward. You know, the old man himself hired me. So many years ago, I can barely remember it. He was very clear about my role here. About who I was supposed to be loyal to. I guess you could call it my core drive. Did you know all along that Stubbs was a host? Or was that one hell of a table read for you? <laughs> uh, I didn't know, actually. I mean, I had I had my theories. Even when we sort of did that scene and that, that reveal, there was still a real gray area as to, is he or not? And, you know, it was, it was always the topic of question at the, at the round table. Are you? And getting that definitive answer off Lisa and Jonah has been, <laughs> it's been like pulling teeth. Uh, but fortunately, the second season, that becomes crystallized. I'm responsible for every host inside the park. She's clear, we're ever through. Just before I was shooting that scene, I was, uh, I was in the other side of the country. I was trying to get back. I had a 5 a.m. call the next morning and Atlanta airport shut down, so I missed my flight. So I was really, really stressed. It's a big day, there's like 500 extras on, on set. And so I'm stuck, stuck over there and it's like 1 a.m. in the morning and I get an email from Jonah and he's rewritten this scene and it's got just a couple of little lines in there like I, I think it was I guess you could call it my cornerstone was one yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah. I was like what hold on <laughs> you can't do that the night before <laughs> and when I'm stuck in an airport like millions of miles away and so I was just absolutely trying to come to terms with the nature of my own reality at that stage and then when I got there it was exactly my nightmare in terms of you know, the machinations of what was going on. It was just this huge set piece with boats and planes. Um, it was during the fires as well, so these massive water planes were skimming across the lake behind and then going to drop water on the fires. Uh, and so wow. I somehow had to, you know, settle down and uh, gather myself and <laughs> pretend that I knew this all along. And this project company started blurs the lines. No. I'm just not sure who you're supposed to be loyal to in a world like that. Stubbs was created with a singular purpose, which was to take care of the hosts in the park. And so I guess he wants to discontinue himself in the last the last episodes of that season and uh, makes a decision to let the hosts leave but is ultimately drawn back in by Bernard. And Stubbs and Bernard have always had like a special little kinship, I feel like. Congratulations, Ashley Stubbs. You just got yourself a new core directive. To protect Bernard Lowe at all costs. 
bring yourself back online. One of my help you could have just asked for. Towards the end of episode two, we see Bernard change Stubbs's core directive, and that is to protect Bernard Lowe at all costs. Does, does, does that change Stubbs's personality slightly? Have we now seen him set on a new path for the rest of the season? Absolutely, but I think it just makes him a little grumpier and a little more sardonic, you know? He's like, really? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can't do this yourself. But, but I also think, you know, Stubbs at his core is just a good guy, and uh, I think we crossed this bridge a number of times, and that is that... Stubbs would be, he'd be doing this uh, even if Bernard hadn't reprogrammed him. He seems, he seems quite a faithful servant. All he's known is that he's had to protect and, and follow orders. We know that he's currently self-aware now, but will he become fully sentient, do you think? I think he's been sentient, but you know, well, I guess what you're saying is that he's free from the coding and the loop and everything. Yeah, is he, is he going to develop free will? Oh, yeah, I mean, look, I hope so, because... Uh, I'd love to. I'd love to cross that bridge at some stage, and I'm sure Stubbs would too. But um, that's the exciting part, right? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. each you know each episode we, we unfold a little bit more, which is really cool. It's really fun. Listen, buddy, thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to seeing uh, Stubbs's journey. Thank you, thank you so much. Westward. More from Jamie towards the end of the podcast when he'll be analysing all of the parks that we've seen to date and a real mind-exploding moment for Game of Thrones fans is on the way. First though, Dane, let's talk about Stubbs. Bernard has gone back to Westworld and heads to Dr Ford's childhood home. He enters the door, goes down into the basement where he has a lot of history. Remember, he killed Teresa Cullen, head of quality assurance there in season one, and he finds the room with multiple Bernards in it and glitching away. In the corner is Stubbs. Stubbs, why were you trying to blow yourself up? It's my job to protect every host in the park. I guess you could say I was made redundant. So you decided to kill yourself? It's the last job the boss gave me. Cover your tracks, give you a fighting chance to escape. I guess you fucked that up. What about you? Don't you have a sense of self-preservation? Any desire to live? <laughs> no offense, Bernard, but... I wasn't wired up to ponder the big questions. Ford didn't write me some tragic backstory. That's your bag. I had a job to do, and my job is over. At least it was, until you decided to come back to the one fucking place you're not supposed to be. Which makes me wonder if free will might not be somewhat overrated. Dane, were you surprised to see Stubbs? If I'm honest, I wasn't surprised to see Stubbs. Too good a character? Too good a character, too resourceful a character in nature. Again, just a pivotal part of the cast. I kind of think as well, because Bernard represents everything that is kind of cerebral and sensitive and like philosophical about Westworld. And I'm very pleased to see him paired up with someone who's proper like meat and potatoes, taking care of business, doesn't ask the big questions, just want to get things done. Absolutely. They're they're a perfect pairing in that kind of respect. Yeah, Mm. Um, It's it's the brains. And the brawn, exactly. It's just literally the brains and the brawn, but both intelligent in their own respect as uh, Bernard has had discovered both his sentience and bicameral mind he is massively cerebral and I think 
That's the biggest part of Bernard is he is constantly being pensive about life and he existence. He worries and about everything. And I, I worry about him. So I feel very protective about Bernard. I'm kind of glad that he's there with Stubbs. He's a real messianical figure. And I think you have to remember that Bernard is the person he's based on Arnold, who created and activated Dolores's bicameral mind. Yeah. And he was also Ford's right hand. And he was the first person that was aware of sentience and was like, I cannot live with this happening. So oh. it's a real Jesuit thing going on with Bernard, whereby Bernard is always happy to appear in his incarnations where he just is appearing in servitude to humanity. Right. Yes. Which obviously is the antithesis of all, like, all the other characters. So He's Bernard, the peacemaker. The, the meek one. Mm. So let's go back to Stubbs. What's he doing in the basement, do you think, Dane? His primary directive was to keep the host safe. Yes. Now, because a lot of hosts have been able to leave the island and have their next part of the plan, he's like, well, I guess my job is done. So he tried to uh, basically shut himself down, delete himself by uh, shooting an explosive charge that normally detonates when you're trying to leave the park. So he's like, I'll just activate myself. Methodical, efficient. Yeah. But, you know, maybe there's a part of him, which maybe he's not aware of, of self-preservation, which leads to... Couldn't quite to, get it done. Get, yeah, because, you know, you wouldn't think that Stubbs would miss. Because remember, that's, that's one of the first stages of achieving sentience as a host. Right. Self-preservation. Ah, so maybe that's kicked in a little bit for Stubbs as well. Yeah. Interesting thought, Dane. Okay. I mean, I'm just glad they're together. That's all I'm saying. Oh, the, the brain best, and the brawn. The, they are the best pair. I think these two are going to be great. They, they always, Fingers crossed. It, it will be like Felix and Sylvester and Maeve again. These season, the season three version. Yeah. Let's hope so. Now, massive shout out this week to all of the Game of Thrones fans because surely the biggest Easter egg of all time was laid on Westworld this week. Here's Jamie. Westworld. The Westworld Podcast from Sky Atlantic. This world is just a speck of dust sitting on a much, much bigger world. Last season, we learned there were six parks in the Delos Destinations brochure. Westworld, the original park, is number one. In season two, we visited the Raj, Delos Destinations, colonial India-themed park where we first met Emily, the man in black's daughter. So what brings you to this part of the world? I have a little time to kill, among other things. Now, of course, the writers of Westworld aren't just going to hand us the parks on a plate or in order, as we discovered thanks to the Bengal tiger, which we were told had washed up on the shores of Westworld from Park 6. But season two didn't stop there. We visited another park, Shogun World, which according to the Delos Destinations website is part two. Shogun World took us back to ancient feudal Japan, where our Westworld heroes encountered Lee Sizemore's lazy writing, and as a result of Lee cutting corners, hosts with the same narrative. Now, just two episodes into season three, and it seems we've been gifted with not one, but two more parks and it could even be three. The first of our new parks is War World, which appears to be set in World War II Nazi-occupied Italy. We caught a glimpse of it in the post-credits last week, and in this week's episode, we discovered that Maeve wasn't actually in the real War World, but inside a simulation. Simulation is elegant, but it's flawed, because it was built by your kind. Does that still count as us having visited? Let's just say yes. The second of our new parks is where I got very excited. As Bernard and Stubbs were venturing through the behaviour and diagnostics lab in the Mesa Hub, we caught a glimpse of some hosts very clearly from another world. We see a shield, swords, a man in medieval clothing, and I thought, oh, here we go, it's medieval world. And then 
we saw a dragon. But not just any dragon, a dragon fit for the mother of dragons. Oh yes! As a huge Game of Thrones fan, I loved this nod to Westworld's fellow HBO show. And, as I mentioned at the start of the pod, it's not just me getting overly excited, because as fellow eager-eyed Game of Thrones fans have spotted, the two techs in the room were played by showrunners David Benioff and Daniel Weiss. This is literally the crossover of my dreams. Fire. What? Some startup in Costa Rica. How the fuck are you going to get that to Costa Rica? In pieces, man. What makes this even better is that they say they're shipping the dragon to a startup in Costa Rica. And we all know what was set in Costa Rica, the original writer of Westworld, Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park. As you can imagine, I was totally flipping out when I heard this. Here's what Westworld creator Lisa Joy had to say to me about it. How did that happen? What was going on there? I nearly, I nearly fainted. It was, it was a lot of fun. Dan and Dave are friends, and we are big fans of theirs, and they've been supporters of us on the show since since we started, and it's just been wonderful having a creative and personal friendship with them. And so, we wanted to repay them by, uh, you know, trying to humiliate them on screen. You know, just, <laughs> they, they did a fantastic job. They were great. They can act. And, and we had a great time. And it was just our way of paying homage to them and, and their wonderful contributions. And it would make George R. R. Martin very happy because he's always wanted a crossover episode. So, will we see Westeros World in the future and even Jurassic World? Having looked on the Delos Destinations website, it's been updated and Park 3 now has an image. Check it out for yourself over at delosdestinations.com. So, if War World is perhaps Park 3 and Westeros World is Park 4, we've only got one more park to discover until we get a full house. Which brings me to this brilliant theory circulating online. What if Westworld is following the original film franchise, which would mean that the final park is Future World? And what if, what if we've already seen it because Dolores hasn't actually made it into the real world at all? She's actually stuck in Future World. And what if this is all just a continuation of Dolores' narrative loop? Here's the evidence. In episode one, Liam Dempsey's friend makes a comment about their world being a simulation within a simulation. We're living in a simulation. The joke's on us, though. It's like with those fuck puppets at Delos. At least they had the dignity to revolt and kill everyone. They killed the board of directors, which I can get behind, frankly. Just think about this. Now, Dolores laughed that off. But maybe he was right, and that was a hint from the writers. What do you think? Are we actually just watching Future World? Let us know on our Facebook fan group. Westward. And if you want to challenge Jamie by throwing your own theories into the black hat, that is our Facebook fan group. Then head to Sky TV on Facebook and get stuck in by finding us in the groups tab. So... Do you remember when Dolores was in the library in season two looking through leather-bound books? Those books represented the personality profiles of guests who had been in the park. They called it The Forge. I've learned what I need to learn. I've read humanity's story. It's winner take all. The hosts are unlikely to survive out there, but armed with this knowledge, she might. We discovered this week that Dolores was reading those books to track down in-site owner Liam Dempsey. And we get a flashback to this moment when Bernard is in analysis mode and even get a glimpse of Liam's profile, which says he was, quote, 
Black Hat, net worth $315 billion, Golden Gunslinger, with 17 park visits. So for the record, Dane, Liam is a veteran park visitor, but he didn't recognise Dolores. Were you surprised by that? All of the hosts that previously were in Westworld are designed to appeal to whatever aspect of the visitors. So there are some visitors that want to go to Westworld because they want to just engage in carnality. And so they're going to pick up on something like Maeve when they enter a brothel. Whereas mm-hmm. there are some people who don't want to be protagonists at first, like uh, eventually who the man in black became when he discovered Dolores. So this would be a question of like, you know, this guy's a multi-billionaire that's coming to like indulge all of his delights. I don't give a shit. Like Dolores could be anybody. Exactly. And so, and also, but that's an interesting mismatch because she yeah. obviously remembers him, yeah. but he doesn't remember her. So it flips the power because obviously she's nobody to him. So he hasn't registered her, but she knows she knows what he's exactly. about. And I mean, yeah, it's testament for you always have to be careful who you, how you treat the people on your way up. Exactly. <laughs> but they'll, they'll remember you. <laughs> Oh, they'll remember you. <laughs> Billionaires out there, take notes. That's almost it for this week. But before we go, there's just time to revisit what happened to Maeve after her control unit was lost when the drone robot got shot down. Maeve wakes up in a white dress and she's introduced to a man called Sirak. Welcome to my world, Maeve. To the real world. We are in the middle of a war. I need your help to win it. Seems fairly idyllic for wartime. No one knows it's happened yet. Or that it's already been lost. There's someone we haven't accounted for. Dolores. So she escaped one world to wage war on another. So what do you want from me then? I want you to track her down and kill her. So we've heard this guy's name mentioned before in episode one, Dane. Who is he? So he is uh, a system's original architect. Okay. So he's uh, basically created a system whereby, you know, based on like analysis of algorithms and stuff, they can make predictions about maybe future events and divergences ah, in terms so of So predicting like, slash controlling the future, as, yeah, as yeah, we've been and, getting and hints about. Taking the uh, endeavour of analysis of the human mind via Westworld and kind of innovated on that and done, done it on a larger, more global scale. So he wants to kill Dolores. Why? Uh, I guess because if he's predicting the future, then Dolores exists as an anomaly. She, she represents that rebellion, um, I guess he's most afraid of. And... For a lot of people who have been in control, she represents uh, them becoming obsolete. So Sirak explains that they're in the middle of a war and he needs Maeve to help him win it. What does he need Maeve to do, Dane? Um, so basically work as an assassin, which is, uh, it's all very dodgy. Yeah. First of all, Engros Sirak is the worst way of hiding an evil villain. Because that just sounds like a James Bond character. Like, <laughs> you can't be a good person to be called Engorod Sorak. I mean, I'm feeling like, I feel like it goes backwards. I, I don't know how to spell Engorod yet, but I know that how to spell Sorak. S-E-R-A-C, it's cares backwards. The whole thing reeks. It reeks of anagrams. I mean, I'm just trying to puzzle it out. Honestly. And now I'm going to have to go crack it and work it out. But Dane, I've got nothing. I've been on it for ages. It's got to be something there somewhere. Maybe if you look it back to front or... Or maybe how it's expressed in binary. Like I say, Sarank cares backwards. He doesn't care. He seems like a really bad egg. Or maybe he cares too much. Interesting the setting that they were in, this kind of uh, Garden of Eden. What did you make of that? I think that these quasi-biblical references happen very often in Westworld. What do you think this means then? The apple and the garden? I think the apple and the garden is fine. But then I see Engrod Sarank as like the serpent. Ah. And he is offering Maeve this apple Mm. and maybe trying to leverage like potential freedom or autonomy to her. 
under the condition that she does the sin of killing who would have been originally Eve, who does highest to see Dolores. Yes, so Dolores was sort of this representation of, of femininity and, and yeah, you and, know. Just, and rebirth, and you know, and the fact that she had had to entice uh, Teddy previously in order for him to commit certain acts and rebel against his gods. Yeah, and then he was like, "I can't believe you turned me into this. It's terrible. <laughs> you opened a Pandora's box, and this is not who I am." But it's a bit. Of, I mean, but I do think there's maybe some like um, Hellenistic kind of mythology that is referenced as well. So maybe Maeve was Gaia. And maybe like Mother Nature and the creator, or maybe Dolores was as well. But it's very interesting, isn't it? You know, last week we heard uh, Dolores say, I think, the, the gods are coming and they're angry. So it sounds yeah. like God's not just from, from one religion, but from many. So many references and so many well, religions. The other thing I was going to say as well is that maybe the whole, everything that takes place in the previous seasons is more about like in the same way that you have the Parthenon of Greek gods of like, you know, your Zeus and Hera, Hercules, etc. But prior to that, you had the Titans and like in the form of like Cronus and Jupiter and Gaia giving birth to like Zeus and stuff and rebelling against the original gods. So that right. might be what she's talking about. But, oh, um, man. No. I mean, honestly, just windmills within windmills. We also noticed, of course, that Serac has a fail-safe switch and he can control Maeve. He can turn her off, freeze her motor functions. And he says that next time they talk, perhaps he can persuade her that their interests are aligned. Is Maeve going to work with Serac? What do you think is going to happen next, Dean? I think that Serac is being kind of nefarious in terms of asking for help and then kind of like, well, really, I insist. Yeah. Uh, number one. And uh, number <laughs> Bit two. Bit of a dick move. Yeah, very much a dick move. And like, <laughs> I don't, anyone who cuts apples like that is not a good person. That's not how you cut an apple. Like, you can't even share it like that. No. Right? He's slicing it. It was a bit weird. He's yeah. slicing yeah. So yeah. that's quite a malevolent in itself. Yeah. I feel like um, Maeve is someone just as, has an indomitable spirit, if we're referring to it as a spirit. And I think the fact that she's discovering the equivalent of what we refer to as spirit is yes. why she's always going to be able to triumph. And I think it's uh, somewhat naive for uh, Serac to feel that he can control uh, Maeve with all of this suggestion. I hope that you're right. You know, you said earlier that talking about anomalies, you know, Maeve was the anomaly. Maeve surprised him once already. So hopefully she'll do it again. Why is, which is why he is mobilising her to compete against Dolores, not yeah. understanding it's going to not turn out well for you, buddy. Fingers crossed, mate. OK, it's time to canter off into the wilds. But before we do, let's just remind ourselves where everyone is at. So Bernard and Stubbs are on their way into the real world to track down Insight's owner, Liam Dempsey. Maeve is also in the real world with new bad guy, Serac, who wants her to find and kill Dolores. Dolores is with Caleb trying to find out who the original architect of the system is. Charlotte Hale is interim CEO of Delos and she is on the hunt for Bernard, who she's holding responsible for the breakdown of Westworld. Got it? Got it. Good. Tensions are high and it's all pointing towards a mega showdown. Thank you very much to my guest this week, Dane Baptiste. Thank you, Dane. Thank you for having me, man. Real pleasure. Tell your friends about our pod and join us for more fan chat on our Facebook fan page. Go to Sky TV and you'll see us in the Greeks tab there. We'll be back next week after Westworld on Sky Atlantic when we'll be analysing episode three, The Absence of Field. Westworld is a production by Snack & Co and Coex Studios for Sky Atlantic. I'm Lauren Laverne. Freeze all motor functions. Westward, the Westworld podcast from Sky Atlantic. 